the love chapter. That's what we're getting into today. And uh, yeah, we are continuing uh, this year-long series looking at First and Second Corinthians. Uh, it is a big portion of the New Testament, these two letters written to the early church in Corinth. And uh, as we look at this, we're breaking it up into mini-series. And so right now, <clears throat> we're looking at this mini-series of building the church and the complication of building the church, right? Because church involves people, and we are complicated, are we not? Mm-hmm. We got an amen on that? Yes. Church is complicated. It's messy. We're talking about building the church. Our memory verse that was in the announcement video uh, talks about this idea of God is constructing the temple, but the temple is not brick and mortar and buildings and carpet. What is the, what is the temple? You, me, us. We are the temple. And that memory verse just captures the whole idea of this series, is that God is constructing something. He's constructing you, and he's constructing me, and he's constructing us. And what part are we playing in the building of his church? We're building his church through a variety of talents and roles, uh, all under the authority of Jesus. And today we're talking about building the church with love. Doesn't that sound nice? Building the church with love. Uh, the Black Eyed Peas years ago asked, where is the love? And before that, the Beatles asked, all you need is love, right? Da, 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 da. Well, way before those two groups, the Apostle Paul wrote, do everything with love. 1 Corinthians 16, 14, do everything in love. Love is this key ingredient to building the church, and we can't miss that ingredient. Otherwise, we're going to be really messing something up that God is trying to construct. And it reminds me of uh, an episode out of the British Baking Show. How many fans of the British Baking Show on Netflix? Anybody? I don't watch it on the BBC. So uh, it is a BBC show, but I watch it on Netflix. And baking competition, there was one episode where this gal made what they call a showstopper, right? It stops the show, basically. It's supposed to stop it. It's supposed to be amazing. They put a lot of energy and time and, and making these things that look incredible, lady made these incredible little desserts, and then they get judged. Well, this lady made this dessert and accidentally substituted salt for sugar. Yep. Yep. That's exactly right. And you can picture the judges' faces when they bit in to those wonderful desserts that were not sweet, uh, but they were salty. And despite of how beautiful and intricate and the frosting and all of these things and the decor and the show-stopping capability of these desserts, when you bit into it and it was made of salt... Woo! It was just this, this cringe. And in chapter 13, Paul is talking about all the incredible things that the Corinthian church is doing. You could speak in tongues. You could do this. You could do that. You could say all these mysterious things of the Lord. You can give your life away and do all this to build the church. But he gives this, this giant but, big buts, right in the middle of these statements. But you didn't love others. But if I didn't love others others. And like the baking contestant, the Corinthian church was building the church without the key ingredient, and that is love. And so when people of the world would bite into this church, it looked decadent, it looked amazing, it looked spiritual, it looked mature. But when you engaged with that church, they found salty Christians. And the reality is, back then is very similar to the reality of today. Christians are perceived as jerks. That is the reality that we function in, that we live in. You and I might deny that and say, well, I'm a nice person, right? I try to be nice, 
But the reality is, is that when people find out we're Christians, sometimes there is this uh, hesitation. Why is it that Christians are perceived as jerks? Paul's going to answer this question in chapter 13. Right at the beginning of verses 1 through 2, he initially starts by highlighting all of these things that people can do for the church. Speaking in unknown languages. All the languages of heaven and earth. Think about that ability to communicate in the languages of heaven. Ah, the lights just came up right as we talked about the languages of heaven. But that's something that they can do. That you could have the gift of prophecy and the ability to understand all of God's secret plans and have knowledge and faith to move mountains. The ability to move mountains. And we would look at that and say, wow, that's incredible. To know all the mysteries of God. Wow, that seems incredible. I want to be able to do those things. Right? He goes on to say, they gave it all to the poor. I gave my life away. They sacrificed their body to the flames. Right? Other translations talk about giving up your life and martyrdom and generosity. Why are Christians sometimes perceived as jerks? Because we confuse capacity and charity for character. We confuse this idea of, well, I can do all of this stuff, or I can give all of this stuff, and we confuse that for the character of God being in our life. Think about it. If somebody came into our church and had the ability to communicate deep, complex theological issues, and we asked them to guest speak or lead a workshop or, or, or uh, lead a small group, they might expand on these ideas and concepts for us, and we would just be like, wow, Pastor Sean never said it like that. This is incredible. And we would immediately assume, man, they've got a heart after God. They've got the heart of Jesus. Why? Because they can communicate. We, we are sometimes led by people that can lead worship and play instruments and sing songs with a genuineness and an authenticity of what perceived is that, and we assume they have a heart chasing after God. We could see somebody write a big check or, or, or give up luxury and, and live in a life of poverty, and, and we see them all over Instagram or on CNN Heroes or on Oprah or something like that, and we think, wow, this philanthropist, this generous person has a heart of Jesus, because why would you give that much unless God has changed your life? And we would elevate somebody to this saintly uh, state because they gave their life for the church. Because we confuse capacity for character. We confuse charity for character. And just because I can do a lot for the church, just because I can give a lot for the church, does not mean that God has done the heart work in me. Jesus said, and this is, this is one of those verses that a lot of us maybe want to skip over in Matthew chapter 7. But Jesus said there'd be a lot of really good people, a lot of charitable people that are far from God. In Matthew 7, verses 22 through 23, this one makes all of us gulp. Oh, on judgment day, many will say to me, this is Jesus speaking, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and we cast out demons in your name and perform any miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's law. There could be very talented and generous people that are far from God. We could be very, we could have high capacity in the spiritual gifts and, and the abilities, 
and yet we are selfish and inconsiderate. We could be generous with everything that we have, and yet greedy not for money, but for recognition or control. And we could be hurtful. And I think that's why Paul is correcting them. He's looking at this church in Corinth and saying, guys, people are biting into your dessert, and it's full of salt. And he says it, and he brings the reality to them. He says, you could do all these things. And what did he follow up, right? You could have faith to move mountains. You could do this. You could do that. You could speak in all these languages. And this is the way Paul ends each equation. He says, but without love, there's the big but, but without love, you are a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. You could sound so spiritual and have all these $10 Christianese words, but you're a hollow noise that doesn't edify the church, doesn't build the church, it distorts the truth. He says, you could do all these things to move mountains, and what does he say? But without love, I would be nothing. Meaning all of these things that I do don't really add to my value, my identity, my worth. He says, you could, you could give it all away and you could die for the church. I would gain nothing. It's not going to add anything. It's not going to, in other translations, would say it's not going to count. And so Paul says, in these couple of verses, I think what he's trying to tell us is that we cannot overlook character for the sake of capacity and charity. We have to allow Jesus to do the heart work in us and allow that to be the thing that drives our capacity, that drives our charity, right? Because think about a church. <clears throat> what good is the church if we don't love each other in the process? You can volunteer on every serve team on that card. Great. But if we don't love people, what's the point? You could be a missionary across the globe. But if you don't love people, what are you doing? We could discuss theological concepts on every talk show and every podcast in the world. But if I don't love people in the process, Paul keeps saying, what's the point? You could look and sound and, and appear to be the most spiritual person in all of Skagit County. But if we don't love one another, if love is not at the center of that, what is the point? And it challenges me to think that without love, we become a productive church, but a pointless church. We could be really busy for God, but we miss the whole point. How many of you want to be a part of a pointless church? I see no hands. For those online, there are no hands up in the room. Nobody wants to be a part of a pointless church. We like productive. We like busy. We like doing things and programs and events and capacities and ministries and all of these things, but without love at the center of it, it's pointless. That's what Paul is challenging the Corinthian church and what he's challenging us. And so we have to learn to build the church with love. So Paul points out the absence of love, the need for love, and then he describes what love is. Now, raise of hands, Here's, here, you can engage with this. How many of you have heard this passage defining love? Love is patient and kind. How many of you have heard that at a wedding? Raise your hands. You've heard that at a wedding, and you, you hear that, love is patient, love is kind, love keeps no record of wrong, and we hear that, and we, oh, that sounds nice. That's a hallmark moment. For those watching online, almost every hand went up, just for that. We don't want pointless church, but we've all heard that passage very poetically read at a wedding. But it's fascinating to me that when Paul writes this, he's going for more personal than poetic. 
He's not trying to sound nice. In fact, everything that he mentions is something that he's already brought up in his letter to the Corinthian church. So when he talks about being rude, when he talks about being kind and impatient and injustice and truth and division and giving up, those aren't just like, hey, this sounds nice. He's actually referring back. If you go back and read the, rest, or the beginning of 1 Corinthians, he's talking about all of those themes and concepts and bringing it back to them and saying, hey, guys, this is what love really is. All the hiccups and struggles and things below the surface that we want to overlook and ignore, that's what love really is. And so when, I think when the Corinthian church read this and heard this, read to them, they weren't like, ah. It was more, ugh. But what Paul is getting at is we have to deal with the stuff below the surface. That character is a matter of the heart, and that character development is unseen to the eyes of everybody else, right? Notice the things that he talked about are very uh, intangible, very below the surface, very heart-driven issues that he talks about. It's not, a, it's not a list of love doesn't murder, love doesn't lie, love doesn't commit adultery, He's dealing with the intangible. He's describing character traits rather than verbs, rather than Ten Commandments for us. What is he describing? He's personifying love. He's making love a person. And as he's doing that, who do you think Paul is picturing as he's writing this? Jesus. Paul is writing about this love, and he is picturing Jesus on the cross. Because you look at that passage and Jesus embodied everything that Paul wrote. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not demand its own way. Jesus did that. You see, Jesus changes the way we build the church with love. In John 13, Jesus said that love would be the defining factor for his church. Look at this in, in John 13, 34 through 35. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So Jesus is saying, I've loved you. Jesus is love, right? We look at the life and the ministry, the teaching. Jesus is love, and he lived it. He taught it. He ministered in it. He died in a manner that was selfless, sacrificial love. He didn't separate his capacity and his charity from his character. They were intertwined. His capacity and his, his charity were motivated by that character of love. Think about it. Jesus had high capacity, right? We would all agree with that. He did miracles. He taught. He was a great communicator and all of this. But he didn't do it to gain a great reputation in town. What did he do it for, right? To bring the truth of God to them. He did it out of love, not, not selfish gain, but of selfless. Ministry and communication and desiring to bring the truth to all people. Jesus was a man of great charity, giving his life away, but he didn't do it for himself. He did it for us. Jesus embodied this idea of love, and he changes the way that we build the church with love. Right? And he tells the disciples, like, you've experienced it. We've experienced it. 
Now we get to go show it. This is going to be the defining factor. When your community looks at you and says, oh, you're a Christian, they won't see saltiness. They will see the love of Jesus. This would be the determining factor. People will know that you follow Jesus by the way that you love. They'll see the church being built and edified in love. Imagine Skagit County looking at, at a church and saying, not what they do, not the number of people that go, not the traffic they get on their YouTube page and their website, but the way they treat each other, the way they love each other, the way they care for each other. That's what would define a church. The church is known for its love. And so what we're going to do, we're going to take a few moments, we're going we're gonna to kind of soak in this very familiar passage. And sometimes when we read familiar passages, we got to just slow things down. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to read this love passage, as Tyler called it, and give you a moment just to read it. Just to think on it. And I'll read it out loud. So if you want to close your eyes, you can just meditate on these scriptures, kind of soak, marinate in it. But we... We know these phrases, and we know these verses, and we've heard them so often, we sometimes miss the poignancy of what he's writing. Verse 4 through 7, he says, Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Love does not demand its own way. Love is not irritable. Love keeps no record of being wronged. Love does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices when the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. Love is always hopeful, and love endures through every circumstance. Let me just close your eyes for a moment. Just... Picture in your own context, in your own world, in your own life, what that looks like to live that out. And I'm going to read this passage again, but I'm going to substitute the word love, and I'm going to substitute it for Jesus. And if it helps you focus, yeah, close your eyes. If it helps you focus to look around, look around, whatever. <laughs> whatever helps you focus. But as I read this, I want you to see that this is who Jesus is. This is how he taught and how he ministered and how he gave his life on the cross for us and, and the life that he's called us to. Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Jesus did not, does not demand its own way. Jesus is not irritable. Jesus keeps no record of being wronged. Jesus does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices when the truth wins out. Jesus never gives up. Jesus never loses faith, and Jesus is always hopeful. Jesus 
endures through every circumstance. That's the God we follow. That's the God that's changed our lives. And I told you we're going to soak in this, so we're going to do it again. But this time, we're going to put your name in it. And I'm not going to read it aloud, but I'm going to let you read it to yourself and say your name. All right? Actually, let's read it aloud. I want you to read it aloud with me. Can you do that? Let's do it. Let's get a little Pentecostal for a quick second. <laughs> Don't say Sean, but say your name, all right? <clears throat> okay? And we'll, we'll try to stay together. It's, it's uh, yeah, we'll do our best, right? Sean is patient. Okay, you ready? I'm going to give you a countdown. Ready? <laughs> Here we go. Do we go on go or do we go on three? We go on one. Ready, set, go. Jesus, no, Sean is... <sighs> I did not mean to do that. All right, let's try it again. Tyler, I might need some assistance here. All right. I am, oh. I am patient and kind. I am not just, okay, yeah, let's do that. <laughs> ah, Rochelle saves the day. Thank you. All right, I am patient. Okay, ready? Three, two, one. I am patient and kind. I am not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. I am not, I am does not demand. I do not demand my own way. I am not irritable. I keep no record of being wronged. I do not rejoice about injustice, but rejoice when truth wins out. I never give up. I never lose faith. I am always hopeful. I endure through every circumstance. Wow, give yourself a round of applause. That, that was a lot more difficult than I thought it was going to be. But you will always remember the moment where you made it about yourself. And I want you to think for a moment what it would look like for our church to be described that way. If, if people described Hub City and said, Hub City, Hub City Church is patient and kind. Hub City Church does not, is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Hub City doesn't demand its own way. Hub City is not irritable, keeping no record of wrong. Hub City does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices when the truth wins out. Hub City never gives up. Hub City never loses faith. Hub City will always be hopeful, and Hub City endures through every circumstance. Imagine what the church could be if love was our central ingredient. What could happen within our church and through our church? We'd change the world. That's what Paul's getting them at. He's trying to course correct them so that they begin to see that. A church that isn't fighting for themselves and isn't divided and isn't worried about being right and isn't boastful and isn't pushing back against each other. But a church that is contending for the love of God, the love of Jesus to characterize them. 
that's going to change the world. And can we be a church that strives to let our capacity and our charity be driven out of our Christ-centered character? I want you to do good things for the kingdom of God. I want you to be generous. All right, Our next mini-series is talking about generosity because Paul talks a lot about money in his Corinthian letters. I want us to serve, and I want us to join teams and, 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 and be empowered by the Holy Spirit to do incredible things. But first and foremost, we must center our character around the character of Jesus. If we address character, I believe it will change our behavior. It will empower our capacities and our charities, but we start with character. And simply put, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 16, 14, we can be a church that does everything with love. I'm sorry that that is not our memory verse. That would be an easy one to win. But let it be the thing that drives you this week. And whatever you do, do everything with love. Let's pray. Jesus, I, I thank you that you first loved us. We didn't love you first. We didn't clean ourselves up. We didn't sacrifice ourselves for you. But you loved us. You died for us. You offer us forgiveness. God, I pray that we continue to remember that sacrifice and remember that love and remember the life that you've called us to. And I pray that we would be a church that is saturated by your love. That we wouldn't just talk about love and it wouldn't just sound ethereal, it wouldn't sound hallmarky and sentimental, but God, we would be a church that embody your love and live it out in our words, in our actions, in everything with everyone that we do all in love. And as we do that, God, we just pray that you build your church. We are your people. This is your church, and I pray that we build it around your character and your qualities. In your name we pray. Amen. If you want more information on Hub City Church, find us at thehubcitychurch.com. Thanks for listening.